welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview Treasury professionals about their Treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to them about how they've built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the Treasury profession going to next. Let's get on with the show. This week's show, delighted to be joined by Patrick Bauman, the VP Treasurer at Tupperware Brands. Founded in 1946, Tupperware's signature container created the modern food storage category that revolutionized the way the world stores, serves, and prepares food. Everyone knows Tupperware. Everyone's got it in their cupboards. But what a great way we're going to get into some of the Tupperware products and, and talk about some of the different things that you know have happened with the brand, if you like, in recent years. But we're going to go back to Patrick's early story, first of all. Patrick, if you would, take us back to the beginning of your career, how you discovered finance and treasury. Back to yourself, sir. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thank you for hosting me and delighted to be on the show. There's not really a good, solid path for treasury professional and stuff like you study in school, like science or math or accounting. The way I went into treasury was through finance, accounting class, and, and exposure to different professional during my studies at the university when I went to grad school. And talk me through, when you say you went to grad school, how did you then discover finance? You can talk us through each of the moves from there sort of thing. It was an interesting discovery for myself. Being from Switzerland, we always associated with investment banking and, and, and finance. And early on my career, I, I had dreamed to become a product manager, you know, like managing a, a Procter & Gamble soap or detergent or chocolate. And I did my internship at the time with Xerox in Zurich and did some an exchange student program overseas and then went back to Zurich for grad school. And there I, I met a couple of friends, one of my dearest friends, Rich Mullen, he was at Citibank at the time. And then really we, we kind of connected and talked a lot about finance, international finance. And he shared with me some of his work and some of his passion for finance and ultimately by the time I graduated, I, I just ended up working for a bank and, and that, that was really the introduction for me in the finance world. And then after working for, on the bank sector, I went to work for a defense contract company, but it was, it was also in the finance and there I got exposed to treasury indirectly in, in dealing with our treasury group. And, and that's where I, I developed my love and passion for treasury. Explain that when you say you just developed it, how did you do that? Were you thrown in at the deep end or how did <laughs> I know you and I talked about this the other day, so talk me through. Yeah, to, to a certain degree, I, I think that the fact that you have a background in, in finance, accounting is very helpful, uh, or even though in our days with artificial intelligence, data management of fintech, uh, for me, really, it was the journey started when I was running the, uh, the finance, the internet, domestic and international finance for one of the subsidiaries. And I started traveling around the world. I was exposed to foreign exchange, to capital market, securing leasing and payment term for some of the clients and also working with the export import bank of the United States as we were leveraging some of the, uh, the, the program guarantee that our government is providing to compete with, with other export credit. And so really it was to be exposed in the capital market in this world, which is very fascinating. In addition to that, to the investment side with the, the retirement plan, defined benefits for one care. 
And with that, you sort of, as, as you said, you sort of were discovering treasury, if you like. Walk me through it a bit more, because you've got this international side to your career. Yeah. At the time you were where? Where were you then? So I, I joined a Melbourne-based company at the time was Harris, which, which is now L3 Harris Technology. And it was a company that was very diversified between commercial and, and defense contracts. And I was hired at the time to run the international finance for one of the commercial subsidiaries selling broadcasting equipment for the multinational. And therefore, our client were either the Minister of Communication, Education, depending on the countries, that they were basically granting license to operate either a television or a radio network. And so going around the countries and assisting our engineer in providing finance terms because some of those stations, you know, there were significant contracts and they needed to have long-term projects. So, so structuring their finance for the acquisition of those products actually led me to joining the treasury group at the time at Harris. And I started when I was in my 30s, mid-30s, actually working in the treasury group. And it was an amazing experience because I was brought with the experience having worked with the earth then exposed to the intercapital bank that is managing excess cash that you earn from different subsidiaries and ultimately managing one location in order to provide liquidity. Therefore, you're going to have a foreign exchange exposure that, that you will have to deal with. And then at the same time, because we were an international operation with significant exposure overseas and staff overseas, we also have different uh, pension plans. To, to manage and to overseas. And so through the years, the company transitioned from commercial to sheer play, was involved in a lot of uh, M&A activity, and that kind of further exposed me to different treasury instruments, specifically derivative of the foreign exchange, the option, or the uh, interest rate swap, et cetera. Just going back, stepping back a stage, if you like, I think we skipped past it, and I know that the offense part of our conversation before, but you were based in Switzerland and you have made, and when you said Melbourne, let's just clarify that for people. It's <laughs> yeah. Melbourne, Florida, or yeah. Melbourne, Australia. There are yeah. two different, you know, so can you just talk us through the international moves for you? Because that was quite different. No, absolutely. I mean, look, listen, growing up in Switzerland, one of the benefits, obviously, is it's it's almost like a, a melting pot. It's, it's a small country, you know, it's like 7 million people, three different languages, having a reputation, mainly a service industry, including definitely finance and investment. Earlier, really felt attracted to the United States. I mean, I was I always look at the United States as, as, as a role model, as a country that I really we like to live and, and participate in, in a dream. And I was able to move to the United States, ultimately become a U.S. citizen and, and have a family and, and live the, the, the dream that I had expected, which was an amazing, ex which is still an amazing experience. And so this background brought a unique set of quality and asset that, that a lot of companies may be attracted because you know, the fact that, that you are multilingual, number one, that you're exposed to different currencies early on, you know, as you travel, you know, and you take the train and half an hour from where you live, you're going to be in France and Italy and Germany. And at the time, it was not the euro, so you had different currency, different expectation, mentality, languages, etc. 
and that was a unique experience that basically I was able to leverage, especially in my interaction earlier in my banking career when I was managing a portfolio of foreign-owned foreign subsidiaries in the United States that were headquartered overseas, but we were banking the subsidiaries and providing bank services. And also that kind of led to a very successful career working with multinational based in the United States, but having activities overseas. A lot of people ask me, can you make the move to the U.S.? Can I move? Do you have links there or can you explain that to people? I'm a first generation and, and I think a lot of us earlier on, you make a decision that is kind of leave the family and actually transition in a different country. And sometimes that different country is just next door, you know, U.S., Canada, or Mexico to the U.S., for others, it's really living Europe and, and moving to the United States. It's a little bit easier when, when you are in your 20s and and it's you just have to look after yourself rather than, than having, you know, additional responsibility like a family, et cetera. So I think it's it's much easier as I indicated. If you make the move earlier or you're associated with, you know, a, a multinational company, it's like, for instance, in Switzerland in those days, well, it's not uncommon if you're working with like a Credit Suisse or UBS, a financial institution, or even though a consumer product like Nestle, that you'd be assigned overseas for two or three years, but then the expectation is you will go back home. And to me, while that was very appealing because there will be an infrastructure that is provided for, for you, at the end of the day, you had this commitment, ultimately you will have to go back. And in, in my case, I really wanted to pursue my dream to really live and, and work in the United States. And so you've, you've been there ever since and done that since many years. So yeah. I came for L3, what is now L3 Harris, yeah, yeah. Aerospace, and you were doing that. And then, then talk us through the next couple of moves to bring you up to Tupperware, I think. That's part of the working in the treasury group, right? I mean... You have a passion for what you do. And the way I kind of look at the treasury is is one of those areas within within the firm that that allow you to expand and to continue further your education. And so earlier we, we talked about dealing on a capital market, structuring bank deal, credit facility, be credit facilities such as a revolver term loans, issuing debt, working on the M&A for a divestiture for an acquisition, meaning integrating the business and, and also the treasury work, workstation or, or whatever system they have. I mean, that's one aspect to it. The other aspect, and I kind of briefly mentioned, was working with on the pension side, be on the defined benefit or the defined contribution. And so my journey in that regard, was exposed to a lot of fatherholder that were managing our asset. And that was something that I was very fascinated. I mean, here you are, all those bright individuals who are able to pick stocks and either they use a fundamental approach or quant or a hybrid or both. And then being associated with and to a certain degree working on a peripheral with them for, for more than, than 10, 10 years plus led me to do a lot of research and then wanted to go and explore more into this world. And that's where a lot of those fund managers typically had the CFA designation. 
And even though I went to grad school, I, I decided to work and, and earn my license as a charter holder, which I did in 2015. And then I want really to have a chance to run money. And then this is, again, another dream of mine that, that became a reality in, in 2018. I joined basically an affiliate, the Wells Fargo, which is a fine net at the time. And then the goal was really to go independent as an RA, as, as they say in the business, and run basically portfolio and a strategy for that firm, which was an amazing experience because there... It's not only, you know, you're dealing with real life and life matters because those are, you know, institutional, but also are private client that basically entrust you in picking stocks that basically will give them a certain revenue so they can retire and, and have would... peace of mind. And making that step from treasury where you're looking after the corporate's money and the flows and everything else and stepping into that private wealth management and being the chief investment officer there because again to explain that to everyone what were the common pieces and what were the differences I, th I think the approach was very common in the sense that you work with process there's a lot of process involved right process meaning that obviously you will have a policy like an investment policy or you will have a step that that you explain it from a research standpoint and then and the way you invest your those assets so so for instance you may you may look at in the us and then have a position that you want to have a broad market exposure like the s p 500 and one of the benefits, instead of running 500 company, like in an index, you may pick different company in a certain sector that you believe could add value and could be more beneficial. Another screen that we were using is the fact that we wanted to pick companies that will increase their dividend and they were not subject to potential third-party preventing them of paying a dividend, for instance. If you invested in a company and you had expectation of paying a dividend, it just happened to be the, the financial institutional, right? And you had the crisis of 2008, and then the government intervened, provided, remember in 2008 with the banking crisis, the government in the U.S. intervened and provided capital to the bank, but they were also limited in paying dividend. Well, if you had expectation to have a dividend payment because you invested in your bank and, and you were in that situation, you would not receive a dividend. Similarly, if, if you look at COVID and then you, you had exposure to companies, and I'm thinking about oil and gas company overseas, uh, they, they were significantly impacted with the COVID and a lot of those companies basically asked, similar to the 2008 financial crisis for government assistance, the government in the UK and Europe basically say, sure, yeah, we'd be happy to support because they had a national interest to support those companies, but one of the requirements was for those companies to cut the dividend. And so the idea and some of the research that we, we spent a lot of time was to find companies, but also sector that basically could be immune to some of those regulatory requirements that would basically force companies not to pay a dividend. And so, again, this is just for illustration purpose, you know, a lot of companies we were screening for are companies that for the past 10 years would pay a dividend, but the dividend will increase over time. 
and so that no matter what would be the financial condition of the country that you're living in, you will have a steady income, and then that income will be actually hopefully be what whatever benchmark was determined, be the S&P 500 or the Russell 1000, et cetera. And so you did that role for, well, three and a half years or just over, and yes. but then Treasury comes knocking at your door again. You can't get away. He crawls you back in. What happened and, well, wh why come back? I think it's a lot has to do with personal choice and, and your passion. I mean, corporate finance and, and, and treasury is something that I really enjoy and I like. In addition, you know, working for a multinational company that has exposure overseas is very challenging. And, and that's one of the reasons I get up in the morning and it, it, it keeps you on your toe and, you know, and you, you have to factor some of the geopolitical issue, depending where you have your operation, you know, a decision from the central bank in Europe would have an impact in your business. A geopolitical event, for instance, or even though the demographic, I mean, and, and then we've seen that, you know, depending on the sector, if you're on the consumer sector side, and you're going to look at, and depending on the level of confidence for the consumer, that, that will have an impact and you're going to be very sensitive to it. Yeah, you know, maybe some of the index, such as the inflation, interest rate, and some of the move from the central bank. And I think that's a fascinating world, right? Try to understand the cause and effect of in the United States, for instance. I mean, we've seen that, you know, immediately post-COVID, the interest rate dropping significantly to stimulate the economy. And, and then starting about 15, 16 months ago with the Fed ratcheting up and being extremely hawkish and putting a break on the economy and trying to, you know, to live through that. And that's only in the United States, but then you multiply that with country. I mean, we deal in 17 countries and you're going to be exposed to different system and, and, and different process as well. I, I think you, well, I'm not sure you, we really answered it for some of the listeners there, the sort of. Why back into treasury though? Because I mean, this is one of the passion that that I really enjoy, and um, you know, the investment world is is fascinating. But, uh, however, I, I have a greater fulfillment working on the treasury and, and dealing with. I think there's a lot of variances in your daily work. For instance, you know, you're dealing with on exchange. For instance, you're dealing with the capital market. You, you know, you're, you're supporting. I mean, our clients basically are our market, our operation, and you're dealing daily you know supporting your operation in different markets and i think that's very fascinating and that's very fulfilling so tell us again i think most people know tupperware but can you maybe just explain for the listeners who tupperware are but also then that that leads us into how you structure treasury at the you know at the company yeah no absolutely i think very like any other company we're involved in in, in overseas markets or even though you're based in the united states you know we, we are a lot of our revenue are generated overseas right similar to any other company in the united states and so you, you do have to realize that a lot of revenue if you bring back to the united states you're going to be you will have an exposure from a foreign exchange standpoint because most of your revenue or your expense are overseas and then ultimately your company is listed in the United States and the United States is US dollar, right? Yeah. And so the, the first aspect on the treasury to me is how do you deal, first of all, is how do you assess your exposure, your foreign exchange exposure or your risk and 
and what tool do you have available to mitigate that exposure? So I think that's that's one of the area that is very fascinating because then you have to work with different banks who can provide you with not only the credit facility to support foreign exchange hedging and also hopefully to try to assist you in shaping your foreign exchange policy, right? Are you going to hedge against, for instance, the reporting currency or against the function on currency at the NTT level? So those are some of the strategic decisions that needs to be made first. And then how do you execute that? I mean, and then over what period are you going to cover? So there's a whole world and universe around that. And then of course, all depends on and you've seen some very extreme over the past six to seven months, depends on which market you're involved. Like for instance, if you are in, in Argentina and you see a significant devaluation of the pesos, how is that going to impact your business and your hedging strategy and also the cost of hedging? Similarly, so that's on a hedging standpoint. Then you're looking at on the capital market, your, your, your current debt structure and some of the relationship you want with the bank. And again, you know, what I think is fascinating is the Fed Reserve indirectly has a profound impact on a, having access to the capital market, but also in shaping the the lending practice for some of the bank. If, if you have a group that, that is more based like regional bank, given this current environment that we're facing, it, it could be quite challenging. For instance, you've seen in the press that, that you had Silicon Valley bank failing. Mm. Well, if you were depending solely on one bank, you know, and that bank was the type of Silicon Valley, you could be in a very serious predicament. So trying to diversify your bank group, very key. The, the other aspect is how do you deal on if you have, for instance, retirement plan, right? Do you transition? Maybe you, you have a defined benefit plan. And then you want to, to transition to a defined retirement plan, like your 401k, what is the right way to transition? And then if you in fact have a 401k, what should be the lineup that you have in, in order to need the restart requirement? So, so I think those are some of those decisions that, that are very important in your daily life and, and they're going to be exposed and really, you know, challenges us not only to be up with the, the legal regulation pertaining to to all those situations, but also working closely with our legal team on securing the necessary agreement. We talk about the foreign exchange, you may want to have an ESTA in place to identify the counterparties. If you deal with a pension plan, you, you know, you may have fiduciary responsibilities that you need to be fully aware of and also make sure that you're meeting those obligations. So, so there's a lot of complexity in, in all those daily tasks. And just if you reflect back, maybe if you would for us, some of the, we get listeners across the scale. So junior treasury folks, more, you know, mid-level things. Yeah. If they're listening today, obviously we've immediately jumped to sort of more of the senior stuff and, you know, a lot of the global cash management that you do and things. But what advice are you giving to those, maybe members of your team that are more junior, if they're thinking about what they, how they should build their careers, what are you suggesting they should be able to do right i, I think uh, i i'd be looking at the for the future right because maybe the, the path that we had in the past may, may not a reflection of, of some of the talents that you want and and what you want now and what you're going to look for 
I think the future for the for the treasury is really in technology, right? And and I think the the, the key is relying on technology for for process improvement, but also for scale. I mean, we talk about the need to diversify from a bank standpoint, not relying on the bank. Well, that itself means that you need to have multiple banks. So you need to have a credit agreement with multiple banks, and more likely you're going to have different bank accounts, not only in the U.S., but around the world. So you need a tool to basically provide you with, you know, a global cash management reporting. Now, you can argue there are some technology that exists, but, but here you need somebody like an analyst, for instance, who can work with that technology and who can basically generate report leveraging the technology from a treasury management system that we have. That we're going to be more surrounded by data, right? Because data will be more available and, and the data is the foundation for some of our, our decisions from a strategic standpoint. And so the ability to manage those data is going to be critical. And so maybe historically, a lot of the treasury professionals came from accounting and finance and to a certain degree of DNA. Now the future leader or a good way to go in treasury from, you know, from, because you don't have, as we discussed academically, there's not a study path for treasury. So. I would think the future for the analyst would come from, you know, fintech or accounting. Accounting, definitely. Finance, MBA, business administration with a concentration in, in computer science. And you've seen that working with some of the universities we based in Orlando, but you've seen that with UCF, for instance, or the Florida Tech Institute. They all come up with program, not only in finance, but, but in computer science, where we try to merge the two of them and then provide a skill for the student and the analyst to come, to come on board of companies and being able to, to make a, a, a significant impact they want because they can manage the data, because they have the analytical skill. And, and I think those are the skills that, that we would want on the go forward. And I'm talking about this at a number of conferences coming up, one in particular where at the international conference, we're talking about how educating new young treasury talent and things. Are you then saying that treasury analysts, we should be looking for them in the computer science and data area or finance should be embracing bringing more computer courses into the area? What, what, what do you think? Ideally, what you want in, in your treasury team is diversification, right? Personally, that's what I'd be looking for, created a team of different background, right? And that's key, including educational, right? Because each of them will bring something to the table and there's so many different tasks as we explain so many different complexity in your daily activity that I think it's very important that you can rely on team member that, that can manage data. So computer science will be a, a good way to do it. And so the question then to your point is, okay, what is, and if you wait to look for your typical or your ideal candidate, is it somebody who's trained in finance and accounting and then has exposure to computer science? Or is it somebody in computer science, right, that has an undergraduate in computer science and then he or she goes into finance and accounting? I don't know if I have that answer, but I think the success typically is successful candidates, successful analysts and treasurer professional are those who get basically can be analytical 
and I have a combination of both, right? Embrace technology data and also uh, can work as a team and, and understand accounting, finance, and as well. And, and just with that, so then if you're in a role now and you're a treasury manager, so you've made a couple of steps, you're a few years into your career, should you be thinking, not about retraining, but how are you upskilling yourself? What, what are you needing to, or are you thinking, right, actually hire someone to work alongside you? What, what are you thinking is key? I think what's key is people like you, Mike, right? I mean, oh, yeah. the... on. <laughs> no, but in a genuine way, first of all is increase the visibility of a treasury, right? I mean, that's, that's number one, but also provide an ecosystem that will allow treasury professionals to develop through a networking. So for instance, in the United States, we have the Association of Financial Professionals, right? And I encourage uh, all the analysts and everybody that I talk to, to basically take the exam and sit for the CTP, Certified Treasury Profession. Yeah. That itself will give you the basic tools to understand the, the concept that you need to be facing daily. So. Back to you an example, you're the treasury manager and you're looking at how do I go from become a, a treasury manager to the next step? Get the designation. That's key to me. So get your certified treasury professional CTP, join the association of financial professional, actively participate into those conferences, start networking, and then LinkedIn is, is a good way to do that. Be familiar with you know, the, not only the technology, but some of the, the path from, from different successful professionals that you can see. And so continuing education and networking is number one. Yeah. Number two, depending on your academic educational, you know, you may have an undergraduate and you're thinking about the next step. Okay. So now is that an MBA in like business administration or is it the master in finance or you go through the route of accounting and you become a CPA now, and then the goal ultimately is to come back into treasury. That could be, you know, a lot of treasury professional have the CPA designation from an accounting and because we were accountant and, and they moved to treasury. Authors may say, and similar to what I did, it's like, okay, I did the certified treasury professional and that kind of helped me to go to the next level from a manager to a director. But then how do I go to the next level? Because you have to incorporate the capital market, the investment. And, and I, again, I'm, I'm a strong believer with the CFA charter. I, th I think that honor really gives you, you know, an additional level of understanding just because of some of the diversity of, of the program and, and the requirement, right? And, Obviously, in, in order to have your charter, you have to go through the three level and successfully pass the three level. But but just if you in grad school, turn wall and, and take level one. I mean that that is that is a great exposure to, for instance, you know, economic accounting, statistics, and, and that 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 would be a good introduction and maybe a good benchmark for you to to see if you're really interested in in continuing and your professional career in treasury or what you may yeah. want to go to accounting or something. Good advice. I mean, other, other wrapping up advice, I think we'll put your LinkedIn details in the show notes and, and everything else, you know, other takeaways for people before we, you know, wrap up today's episode. 
Yeah, I, I think the other key is mentoring, right? Trying to network and trying to uh, to have a mentor. I mean, earlier in my life, I was privileged to have seven mentor. And when I was at Harris, I, I was CFO. I was always looking at a CFO to be my mentor, and, and they were a great example. And they always had had a lot of uh, good advice, and I think that was very critical. So, so having networking, finding a mentor, asking people to be a mentor—that doesn't mean. And that's another thing that I realized. It's to be very outgoing and, and, and express what you want. So if you want a career in treasury, for instance, or should be any other professional, but treasury specifically, and you're working in an organization, don't don't be shy. Just just ask, you know, be the treasurer or somebody in the team and, and ask to for advice. And and you will notice a lot of those people, you know, they they would take the time because we all started somewhere. And I think if we all had a chance and somebody was there to kind of give us a helping hand and also guiding us. Fantastic. As I say, we'll put your LinkedIn details in the show notes. I know people are going to want to connect to you, which is fantastic. Thank you for sharing some of that. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you at one of the next events soon. It'll be great to catch up. Absolutely, Mike. And thank you so much for hosting me. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Pleasure. Hello, Treasury professionals. Before you dive into the next episode, could you please help me continue to grow the world's only global Treasury salary survey? That's right, our one. We run the results quarterly, so you know your compensation is constantly benchmarked against the market and your peer group each and every three months. It's amazing, isn't it? Just go to treasurysalary.com. Takes less than two minutes to complete, start to finish. You then gain exclusive, regular, updated access to our salary survey, keeping you ahead of the curve. The survey is an evolving, breathing entity that constantly tracks the salaries of treasury professionals on a global basis. Currently, we have over 1,100 participants taking part. By the end of 2023, I want to hit 1,500, but that's where I need your help. Please make it happen at treasurysalary.com. Thank you for being such amazing loyal listeners. Your support is incredible. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Go to treasurysalary.com. Make it 1500 for 2023. Love you guys.